Good evening, everyone. Friends, uh, as we heard in our second reading, uh, uh, we welcome uh, Deacon Mikhail. He's been here this was his first week in the office working, staying very, very busy. We welcome you, brother. Uh, uh, it's a, actually a welcome back, is it not, to our community. Friends, um, our gospel reading, um, Jesus has been traveling. He has been doing many things. And the great crowd that we're told about are more like fans right now to him. Uh, or that's how they see. Uh, they haven't become true disciples yet. And what they, Jesus has been doing, he's been, if you will, telling off the Roman officials, in a way, and the Pharisees and scribes of his time. He's been wagging his finger at them, and he's been addressing his apostles. And now we're told he stops and turns around, and he looks at the people. Uh, they were not expecting that. They were, they were rooting, yay, Jesus is telling all those people, and now Jesus says, now I'm going to address you. Jesus um, is on his way to Jerusalem, uh, where we know he will be crucified ultimately. And as we're told, the crowd is following him, and he turns and he looks at them, and they're going to be, he hopes one day, true disciples, and he offers them to cross. That's what he's offering them. Jesus did not only offer those folks across, he also offered them hope and victory. Jesus did not invite uh, the would-be disciples to carry their crosses without purpose, but in that hope of glory. If in Christ there is no crown without the cross, there is then the cross, no cross without the crown. So what is this cross that he's talking about? It can be as plain as the mundane pace of life that we are in, as ordinary as the common burdens of everyday life, shouldered in faith, I would hope. It can be a particular cross, such as living with a serious injustice done against you. It could be for some an illness and a very serious one. It could be living without the spouse that one had married because of death, or living with the loss of a child. Or it can be a cross that is regional, as I would say it, so to speak, of surviving in a place ravaged by war, by violence, by famine. It can also be one that's more close to us, surviving in a neighborhood where there are gangs and drugs and street violence every day, every night. It can be a cross of habitual sin, the particular disposition uh, that one's tongue gets them into trouble. You know what I'm talking about, bad temper and sarcasm. It can also be an addiction of any kind, perhaps. The struggle to be free of such a cross is a heavy cross indeed. Perhaps a worthwhile cross is found these days in just trying to live as a disciple, meaning perhaps maybe cutting back on some of the materialistic things uh, or taking a stand, if you will, with regard to possessions, so many houses, cars, a number of them. Perhaps these days, the way things are, is advocating solidarity uh, with those who are marginalized in society and fiercely upholding the sanctity of all human life, the right of 
the life of those who cannot speak for themselves, and I'm talking at, at all spectrums of life, beginning, the middle, and the end. When Jesus told his would-be disciples, the crowd that were following him, that they must hate their nearest and dearest in order to be true disciples of his, he was not, of course, advocating for hatred. He speaks of love all the time, and one of the commandments says to honor your mother and father. Jesus is speaking in a rabbinic way, trying to get your attention. Jesus was not a promoter of hatred. He was not a destroyer of family life. We know this. Jesus was merely stating that loyalty to him will require great sacrifices. He meant that Love of God must be first and foremost to anything. This was the proverbial cost of discipleship. This would have been new for them. This cost of Christian discipleship may mean uh, only small sacrifices as we lose a friend or colleague because of, of our faith. You've heard my story. Some of my friends, as soon as I was ordained, wanted nothing more to do with me because now I represented the Catholic Church. It could be an acquaintance where Christian principles and good morals and ethical behavior is countercultural to them. On the other hand, it may mean major losses, even the loss of lives. We see this in other parts of the, of the world. We remind ourselves that the canon of our saints include a large list of martyrs, and there has been no shortage of Christian martyrs of late in our world. When Jesus spoke his words about the disciple carrying his or her own cross, he was on the way to Jerusalem where he would accept his own and to carry it on his shoulders to Calvary. At such a critical time for him, he was looking for real and true followers of him, not just fans, not just people who maybe were enamored of him, but those who would shoulder their crosses in imitation of him and in solidarity with him. Jesus was not looking for camp followers or fans or lukewarm friends. He was looking for true disciples so we pray for each other then as we journey in this world that we may have grace, that we may have faithfulness to our Lord, that each of us carry our crosses, whatever they may be, in union with him. And let us not forget that our cross as his is more than a cross. It reaches beyond itself. It is an instrument of Christian identification of grace, of testimony, and even of future glory and victory. For a disciple of Christ, the cross is part and parcel of our journey. We can either stare at the cross, we can complain about it, of which some of you do that very well. You can ignore it, and some of you do that very well also. You can try to deny it. Or follow Jesus by carrying it faithfully, with grace. Commenting and talking about the cross does not bring salvation. Carrying it as a faithful Christian, however, does. 
We are walking with Jesus either as a fan or as a committed disciple. It is one or the other, my friends. Acceptance of the cross and carrying that cross can change us in a very real and very personal way from a fan of Christ into true commitment and faithful discipleship. So my friends, uh, I'm trying to find ways to make my homilies not just, as Sun said, biblical study, but it would be really well to understand not only the content, but the context in which Jesus was talking, because it helps us to understand, because not only does he face the crowd and point the finger, but he says something, unless you hate your mother and father. And if you just do a cold read, isn't that going against the commandments, the Decalogue? Isn't that different from, right? So it would, it really helps you if you go and understand what it is he's doing and why he's saying the way he's talking. Uh, But um, I will digress if I go on to that. So my friends, um, the first reading talks about counting the cost and planning. And as does Jesus, he offers two parables and he's trying to tell the people, don't enter into this without thinking. Don't enter into discipleship of me without counting the cost because there is one. And um, my friends, I mean, I think about how many times we have, um, we recommit to being better people. I'm going to be better. I do this on Sunday. And then on Monday, darn it. I recommit to not judging so harshly. I recommit to loving others more deeply, like most. We go through the motions of such commitment many, many times over and over again. But making a commitment to follow the gospel and Jesus' teachings is not the same as actually doing them. It is not the same as actually following him because it's hard to reorient our lives toward Christ. It takes planning and it takes decisive action, and of course it takes his grace. It takes effort to follow the Lord. Following the Lord isn't something that just happens. I've never met anyone who has said it just happens. It takes intention and commitment and a lot of prayer. So how ready are you, then, to pay the cost of Christian discipleship in this time and to make it very tangible by doing what is right, by speaking what is right, by walking in justice, by being merciful and being kind and making sacrifices to follow him? True discipleship is, in fact, lived out in the world arena, not just here in this building on Saturday night or Sunday. It encompasses the totality of your life. Secular demands can leave little room for anything else. I get it. I am not a monk. Monks live in the monastery, and they're a little bit shielded outside of fighting with each other, right? Uh, but the, that kind of community. They're just like a little family. 
So I understand what the, the secular demands can make. And they sometimes leave little room for anything else, time or thought. But my friends, what I'd like to put forth to you that if you walk in the ways of discipleship, discipleship raises secular demands to a new level of holiness in your life. It helps you to focus on fidelity in all things, and particularly to Christ, but to each other as husband and wife, as brother and sister, as family, even as citizens of the United States, to be more faithful to what that is. It is expressed in your life day to day, moment by moment. 